0: And welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He is Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. A happy new year to all of you. The first edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live with the calendar reading 2020. 2020. There you go. It is here. Indeed. And it is brought to you by Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Hope everybody had a happy and a healthy beginning to the new year as we get into off-season mode. But everything's still up for discussion here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. We will be with you each and every weekday. We in all likelihood will probably be moving the time up a little bit earlier starting next week. Nothing official yet. We'll keep you posted on that front, but at least today and tomorrow, the show here beginning at one thirty p.m. Eastern. So this has been a relatively busy week, Paul, the end no. of 2019 into the beginning of 2020 for the Giants. I know I'm going out on a limb with that statement, but I thought that you'd be in line <laughs> with what I was saying in terms of John Mara having his press conference oh, on mind. Monday and Dave Gettleman speaking to the media on Tuesday. So a lot to digest, a lot to break down, and we'll certainly break down some of the thoughts from the press conferences as well as hear what you have to say at 201-939-4513. I was on Monday with John where we recapped in great detail John Maris' press conference. You and John were on Tuesday after Dave Gettleman spoke. I had an opportunity, obviously, to hear the entire press conference at my own time, and... You know, the biggest takeaway for me is the fact that this is not rainbows and lollipops, despite what I think some narratives out there that have been developing. I I think Dave Gettleman made it very clear that despite the fact that they have drafted some young prospects over the last few years – He referring to them as puppies, of course. You know, there is still work to be done in terms of, A, those guys taking the next step, Paul, in their development, Daniel Jones included, along with Saquon Barkley. The secondary, it goes without saying. And then the task of... Using free agency as a means to complement the draft. The, The one thing that Dave Gettleman emphasized, and I'm a big believer in this. I believe you subscribe to the same philosophy. In this day and age, even though the sexy thing is to have cap space, spending all the money, throwing it against the wall, and seeing what sticks to me is not necessarily the greatest game plan, if you look across the landscape, forget the Giants. And after what happened in 2016, where you could say it was a short-term answer, Paul, I don't think they necessarily want to go down that road again where they go on a very big spending spree just to fill in perhaps some immediate voids and it doesn't necessarily reap the rewards in the long term.
1: Well, I think when Dave Gettleman says that his two priorities when taking the job were A, to find the next franchise quarterback, and then B to set this team up long-term, he is saying exactly what you just said. He's not going to go for the free agent quick fix, because if you do, that contradicts setting it up for the long term. So I think he has made it very clear to us the direction that he's going in, which is why many of the things that Dave Gettleman has done have been behind the scenes. I'm glad he was able to say that the other day in his presser, because there are a lot of things that we were aware of that, you know we're not at liberty to talk about because it's not public knowledge. But when Dave tells you at the presser and he's right and I know this the Giants have undergone a, a whole new revamping of their scouting system of their database system um, in some ways they certainly have adopted more analytics um, you know again using them as a tool but not as the actual pizza itself. Um. And so and and quite frankly too they've had to in their even in the scouting department these guys as they scout players are are having to use a wider scope of questions and of evaluations than they used to. It used to be a very focused thing that these scouts did when they went in to look at players. Dave has widened that scope and and to be honest with you, I think one of the reasons he did was because the previous Giants administration had not fared well in the draft. And I think Dave understood that when he came here, if he just allowed everything to stay exactly the same as it was, well, what's the definition of foolery, right?
0: The definition of insanity, I think, is where you're going. Okay, yeah.
1: Dave wasn't going to do that. So in spite of the fact that he was a comfortable fit for the Giants and a guy who had been here before, it was never the narrative that should have been out there saying that it was going to be same old, same old. Dave Gettleman did not come here to put this team on automatic pilot because if he had, then the same failures that had occurred under Jerry Reese would still be happening. And that's not the case here. They did a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff, with the roster that he had to rip down and rebuild, and then a lot of stuff within the football foundation that he had to totally reconstruct, which is why it had to be considered a 3 phase plan I've named it the three phase plan just by looking and understanding at what Dave was doing he never named it that I've named it that because I understood the phases that he was undergoing and so now the Giants are starting phase three which is what your your point is in terms of trying to enhance the talent on the roster but making sure it is done in a smart an intelligent way so that you don't have a one-season playoff and then the team fall off the cliff the following year.
0: Well, he's had two draft classes, Paul. So now the third draft class is going to be immersed into the mix. You have probably much more flexibility in terms of cast base than he's had since he arrived as general manager. No question. So those two factors combined is going to be a telling tale as to whether or not this roster and this team is going to take a step forward and then, of course, the addition of a new head coach. So, you know, this would be, to your definition, the third phase because I would say that he probably has the most luxuries at his disposal i think it's fair to say paul Mm -hmm. than he has had at any other time since he took over as the general manager so the question is can the two previous draft classes continue to take steps forward with the direction of the new coaching staff in terms of development and production it's a two-part thing there yes and then the free agents that come in are they going to make an immediate impact to then turn a team that's been hovering around four to five wins over the last two seasons into perhaps a borderline playoff team or whatever it may be. Let's not put a number on it, but you just want to at least see that next step in terms of the progression of your point of the three-year plan.
1: I gave some numbers out the other day when John was doing the show with me on Tuesday. I'm going to give them to you, Lance, and I want you to give me some feedback on this. The Giants have nine players left from the previous regime. Only nine.
0: Yeah, it's been a complete turnover.
1: And... As of now, 31 players, two years of NFL experience or less, 31, 16 of those 31 saw significant snaps as either starters, rotational players, or significant subs. Very, very high number. Yeah. So if you go by the mantra that the third year is the year where guys really break out and show what they're supposed to do, well, again... This is why Phase 3 is the most critical phase of gentleman's plan.
0: Well, piggybacking off of your point, I didn't look at the numbers at the tail end of the season since it wrapped up, but a few weeks before the season, about 42% of the defensive snaps, to your point, Paul, were taken up by first- or second-year players, Mm -hmm. just the defense. The offense was a little bit lower in terms of the amount of snaps. But, I mean, 42% is still a significant number of snaps Mm -hmm. going to players with very limited experience in the NFL. Now, you hope that when you balance out that youth with some veteran presence through free agency or also some of these young guys benefiting, of course, from the 42% of snaps that they received. You know, that's the other part of this that by playing a lot of these young guys this season, and this was even something that Pat Shermer said right after the Eagles loss, Paul, you know, when he was asked about his job security, and he sort of went into a whole synopsis on, if I'm not here, what a new coach potentially can inherit. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that he said, he told the roster in the locker room after the Eagles game was, he said, and I'm paraphrasing, that it's extremely beneficial for all of these young guys who got playing time. Now, he did emphasize that They were the best players on the roster, so that's why they were warranted the playing time, but that it should help them going into next season that it's not going to be so much of a baptism-by-fire type of feel, Paul, because of all the secondary players that logged a great deal of snaps because, let's face it, they were thrown right into the mix, whether it be that they were the best players on the roster, veterans got hurt, or whatever it may be, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how you got the playing time. You got the playing time. Now it's a matter of, are you ahead of the curve entering year two or year three, depending on how many years you've already logged in the NFL?
1: Well, think about this year's rookie class, and I think this is important to note. Besides Jones, Lawrence, Baker, Zimenez, Love, Connolly, Slayton, Ballantyne, okay, all of those guys gave the Giants some important snaps this year. Even Connolly, before he got hurt. He he had moved into the starting lineup. Yeah, remember he had the interception against okay. the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So so Big George was on injury reserve all year. So, you know, guy had a concussion. Okay, what are you gonna do? Yeah, and we're also
0: talking about a seventh round pick, too. Right, so right. But I, I, I mean, think expectations but, but were not. But, but, but huge I'm not will, in. what I'm
1: saying is I'm not willing to write him off yet. No, he and may you end wind have. up being a contributor. Correct. He may yeah. And Chris Slayton wound up being activated at the very end of it the He was on the practice squad. But he was for on the, the practice season. squad, so yeah. I don't know what he is yet. Okay, but here's the thing. Add to this list, in all honesty, Sam Beal, because he was really a rookie.
0: redshirt year the previous okay.
1: year. Okay. Nick Gates, who was ir the previous year. So he was really a rookie. Yep. And Caden Smith, who was really a rookie. And they wound up scapping him up right at the very beginning of the season from the 49ers.
0: Yeah. Well, Smith is a rookie. He was drafted this year. So you so don't even have he, to dance he, around So that. he's still
1: a rookie. Yeah. So yeah. think about that. I, it, it's, It's more than laughable how anybody could criticize Dave Gettleman for the acquisitions that he's made, especially when you consider, we're talking right now, a minimum of 10 useful rookies either drafted or through the waivers or rookie free agents whatever, however he did it they had 10 useful rookies on this team who you'd like to believe will only get better and several of them should be major, major parts of a hopefully winning Giants team over the course of the next couple of seasons. How could anybody, anybody throw darts at Dave Gettleman for that?
0: Well, the bottom line is they have a nucleus of young players, as you just laid out, Paul. And there's potential across the board, different definitions of potential because it's not a huge sample size for all of these players. The one thing from the press conference that I think was asked At nauseam a lot, and I think a lot of fans are still discussing, and I I agreed wholeheartedly with what Dave Gettleman said, especially when he was asked about the Odell Beckham trade. There's a fascination that when a transaction is made, Paul, that at the end of the season, (laughs) okay, I I don't want to go off a tangent, but I think it's an important point to be made. There is this fascination that one year removed from a transaction, we have to have finality to it. We have to have a grade, we have to have a winner, and we have to have a loser. Mm -hmm. And Whether you agree or not with the move, that's not why I'm bringing this up. The bottom line is, I thought Dave Gettleman hit a fair point. He said, well, when you look at what was in return from the Beckham deal, Dexter Lawrence, Zimenez, Jabril Peppers, we're still talking about a young nucleus of players that have yet to come to their full fruition with the Giants, because Peppers is still on a rookie contract and has only been with the team for one year, plus he had the broken bones in his back. So why is it, that we just can't say, let's see another season or two. Let's see what happens. And then for everybody that wants to get out the pen and paper and give an entire grade, You know, then we can have that conversation. But to have that conversation after a 16-game season, also taking into consideration, by
1: the way, a rough year for the Cleveland Browns too. Here's what you can say. You can say something right now. Okay. The immediate review on that trade, including Vernon, Zimenez comes back in the deal. They wound up making the... Zeitler. Well, okay, if you Zeitler. want to look at it, that's
0: right. Okay, it was
1: two parts. That's yeah. fair. Okay, When you look at the totality of that trade, the Giants totally ripped off the Browns in terms of value per dollar. They absolutely got much more value per dollar. When you consider the production they got from the players they acquired, what they're getting paid under the cap, and then the rookies that they drafted, and the production they got for what they're paying them in salary compared to what Beckham produced for the Browns and what they're paying him under their cap. Value per dollar, the Giants absolutely fleeced the Cleveland Browns in that trade. Well, because you had the bulk of the
0: players that the Giants have on rookie contracts, as I mentioned, whereas Odell Beckham and Vernon are on veteran, wealthy well, contracts. So I mean, outside, I think, of, to, outside of Zeitler. Yeah, to
1: me, that's crystal who, clear. Who, by the way, turned out to be the Giants' best offensive but,
0: lineman. Well, you're right. Zeitler, too, is on a veteran contract, but the bottom line is the rookies that the Giants got in addition to Zeitler completely outweigh what Cleveland because Cleveland didn't have really any youth in that deal that it received. So to me, that's crystal clear. I'm not disagreeing with yeah, you there. In terms of value. Yeah, but, but once again, that is still too much of an immediate conclusion, I guess my point is. Let's just see what happens over the next two seasons. Let's see what happens with these young guys. And then if everybody else wants to go back to their grading calculator, then we can revisit that. But there is no winner and loser right now to a deal like that. I just thought it was silly That there were some questions posed Dave Gentlemen's way, and for us to still be revisiting this conversation. If Beckham has a
1: great year next year, he's still with the Browns, has a great year, and they win the Super Bowl, then I think they'll be very happy that they made that deal. And then you could say it worked out really well for them. So you're absolutely right. The final returns of this are far from in, but in terms of immediate value after one year, the Giants did extremely, extremely well.
0: Well, in terms of your point. There's a reason why the Giants are in a very healthy cap situation this offseason, because they shedded a lot of those big contracts. Vernon Jenkins and Snacks were the three big acquisitions in 2016. That ate up a lot of cap space, and they made the playoffs in 2016, but since 2016, the results have not been very positive.
1: And those guys do not have their best years ahead of them. Correct.
0: I mean, Snacks, when you look at what happened with Detroit this year, you know, he got very emotional after the season when he spoke to the media because he realizes he's not playing up to expectations. Vernon, by the way, was a bit banged up again this season in mm-hmm. Cleveland. He did not play a full 16-game slate. And Janoris Jenkins, was like the Giants, for the bulk of the season. So right. th- there's no point to evaluating that. Odell Beckham, we saw what happened in Cleveland. It's not to say that he doesn't have an opportunity to bounce back, but it was a down year for the Browns on many different fronts. So the guys that were eating up a lot of cap space, when the Giants had them, didn't necessarily produce, as you laid out, Paul, the amount of value in return to what they were making financially. But I just, once again, everybody is very quick to just want to issue a judgment. And that's why we always say on this show, you need three to four years to even evaluate a draft class, Paul. You know, the class that mm-hmm. Gentlemen brought in last year with Lawrence and Daniel Jones and DeAndre Baker, we're going to have to wait. We're going to have to wait another two seasons till we truly see the impact of this rookie class. It's the same thing with Daniel Jones. You know, everybody right now wants to give a firm conclusion. He's a franchise quarterback. He's not a franchise quarterback. Okay, well, 12 starts under his belt. Who dictates what happens with a guy's career after 12 starts? Have we not seen throughout NFL history, Paul, that whether it be a running back, a wide receiver, a quarterback, sometimes they're slow. They don't jump right out of the sure. gates. Sometimes they jump out of the gates, and then all of a sudden, the second year is not necessarily as easy as the first year appeared, and then all of a sudden, things click in the third year. Now, case in point, look at Carson Wentz. Okay, I don't want to get completely off topic, but it's somewhat relevant to the division. Carson Wentz had a decent rookie year, okay? it was a new head coach for the Eagles. He looked okay. Then the second year has a great year, but he gets hurt, okay? Last year was more injuries, and then this year... The latter part of the season, you could argue he's playing now his best football. So, with Carson Wentz, I would say if you were to evaluate his first few seasons in the league, it's been somewhat up and down, the reading, right? Somewhat mixed. But but there's still extreme potential. Sure. I don't think, you know, the Eagles feel horrible about the investment. I think they feel very good, and they should. Well,
1: again, the rule of thumb is three years. Three years... And that's when you expect the guy to break out and show some consistency as yeah. to what he's going to be.
0: And have a good grasp of what he brings to the table. That it's not a flip of the coin, a roll of the dice, what you're going to get game in and game out. You want to see the line straight. You don't want to see the reading go up and down. And, you know, that's what we're going to have to wait and see with respect to Daniel Jones. But the positive results, as Dave Gettleman indicated, are encouraging because, A, he got a lot of reps this season. He got a lot of experience. I mean, he shattered just about every Giants rookie record. That doesn't indicate much of anything. That's just within the franchise history. But he also handled himself, I think, quite well through the ebbs and flows and ups and downs, Paul, of this season. Better than we've seen some other young quarterbacks who have to go through the grind and adapting and learning to a completely new scheme and also a game that is much faster and convoluted than what is thrown at him at the collegiate level. So, you know, that to me is... Once again, another indication, let's step on the brakes before we give out grades over rookies after one season. 201-939-4513. With that being said, let's open up the phone lines as we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Jack is in New York. He gets us going right here on Giants.com. What's happening, Jack?
2: Hey, uh, good afternoon, gentlemen, and happy New Year. Same to you, you,
1: too.
2: Okay, um, I'll just post something here, and I'd like both of your opinions on this thought, and I'll take it off the air. Uh, there seems to be a theory that Dave Gettleman really ex- was extended for two years as it's likely they'll need that much time to evaluate his work with a new head coach. Just like to uh, wonder what you guys think about that, and I'll take it off the air. Thank you.
0: Hi, Jack. Appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in.
1: Hmm. Uh, I'm not sure I understand the question.
0: Well, I think his statement was that the fact that Pat Shermer was let go And Dave Gettleman is being retained and a new head coach is going to come in that it can be interpreted, Paul, as giving Dave Gettleman more leeway that if they're going to bring in a coach for the first time, he's going to build chemistry with Dave Gettleman. Why would you then want to make a change regardless of what happens next season? Cause you're sort of then starting all over. You've got to build a new relationship between a new GM coming in and a new head coach. That's how I interpreted see, his yeah, point. Yeah,
1: I see. I, I, yeah, I'm not sure I interpreted it the same way. But here's what I will say: John Mara, the co-owner of the team, said this: This team should have won more games this year, based on the roster and based on the talent. The, the team should have won more games, and they did not win enough. John Mara said that to us in his presser the other day. I happen to agree with him. I think this team should have been a heck of a lot closer to 500 than they were. That's my opinion. And that's not Dave Gettleman's fault because the roster that he built, I think, was good enough to be a lot closer to 500. Well, if it's not on him, then who's it on? It's on either the coaching staff for not maximizing the talent that they had on the roster, or it's on the players and maybe a combination of both for, you know, not executing at times when they should have been counted on to execute. Um, so that's that's my take on it. I don't know if that answers his question, but um, there's no question that this team, in my mind, underachieved this year. And I think the exit of Pat Shermer probably uh, indicates that the Giants feel the same way. Well, as you mentioned, John
0: Mara did say that. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm relating more to my interpretation of the previous caller's last statement, and I do not subscribe to that theory that just because Dave Gettleman was retained and Pat Shermer was let go, that now all of a sudden Dave Gettleman has more leeway. I think, if anything, John Mara made it very clear that the batting average needs to
1: improve. On on free agents. Correct. Dave Gettleman's free agent uh, statistics uh, are mixed. So if you listen to what John Mara had to
0: say and even Dave Gettleman admitting that his results need to be better, I I don't see how anyone would operate under the impression that somebody feels very good about the current situation and absolutely is guaranteed X amount of years at their respective position, Paul. That's fair. So I I would disagree with that takeaway. I I think that they feel, as you mentioned, Paul, that a new voice, a new head coach could perhaps take this roster – to better results, but that doesn't necessarily indicate that somebody has more job security than the other. If the results are not good again next season, then they're going to have to probably go back to the drawing board and revisit what their initial game plan is. Let's head back to the phone line. Scott is in New Mexico. Scott, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you have for us?
3: Hi, guys. How are you doing today?
0: Hi. Doing all right, Scott?
3: Uh, I enjoyed your conversation earlier, but the reality of the situation is the Giants in points allowed finished 30th and I think in points scored they were 23rd so we know there's a myriad number of problems on the defense but I wanted to talk about the offense a little bit and I wanted to mirror uh, the game in, against um, or the last game that they had uh, where Saquon Barkley for example had that major run but in all the other runs that he had I think he averaged I, I think he had 17 carries or 18 carries I'm not sure and he averaged about 1.9 yards per carry for for the rest of the game. And as you go into the next season, the Giants, in order to establish a ball control, which I think is very important, do you think they're going to need an additional runner? Because it appears to me that Saquon, as great as he is, doesn't run inside very well. I don't know if it's a problem with the line, but you But is obviously injured. You have an Evan Ingram hasn't played a full season yet uh, since he's been a Giant. Uh, there are other problems, obviously, with the right tackle. Uh, we don't know how good Nate Solder is going to be next year. So, do you agree that there are equal problems on the offense? Because I'm going back to the comments that John Mara made, where he said that this team should be a playoff team. But I don't see that happening, and I don't want to give myself false hope, like I did this year, and say, "Yeah, we're going to make the playoffs next year." Because I look at a number of well, Scott, let me just jump in here. Where you're going to Scott, have to let me let me also. just
0: jump in here for clarification. I, I, unless I did not remember hearing that John Mara never said that this was a playoff team during his press conference. So, you know, let's be he crystal said, clear. I believe well, believe he said well, he wanted said,
3: the team to make the playoffs. Well,
0: I mean, I think he said that he expected better results and more wins. There's no doubt about it. But I don't remember okay. hearing the term playoff come out of his mouth during his presser okay. on Monday. I, I just want to make that clear just for the sake of clarification. Because, okay. you know, let, let's not paint the picture that may be different from reality. But go ahead.
3: Okay. So, uh, as you look at. The offense, I'm not going to talk about the defense, Uh, with the problems that they have. And there's been some bright spots, obviously, with Darius Slayton and even Caden Smith and a couple of other players. But isn't there an equal measure uh, based on the performance that they've had this year? And we don't know what's going to happen in Daniel Jones' second year. Hopefully it'll be good. But how do you address all of the problems that the Giants seem to have and then think that the team will be better uh, with a new coach, if you still have,
1: I'm going, Scott. I'm going to, to Scott, I'm earlier, gonna make this real simple for you. On that. I'm going to give you some facts, Scott, and I'm going to okay. let I'm going to let you figure out the answer to it because it's not very hard. Okay. Giants ran the ball 360 times, was somewhere in that neighborhood this year, and over 100 of those times they ran directly up the middle behind the center. Okay, right. and their average per carry behind the center this year was 3.6 yards per carry. Okay. Now, you don't, need to, you don't need to be a genius to know that that's not good, right? Right. But yet, they ran over 100 times directly behind the center, and I can't even begin to tell you that that made me scratch my head an awful lot. Okay. okay. Now, did you know that when they ran behind left tackle, they averaged 4.6 yards a carry? When they ran to the left sideline, almost 7 yards a carry? When they ran behind right tackle, over 5 yards a carry? And when they ran behind right guard... Uh, over five yards of carry as well.
2: So basically, so what I'm telling you is,
1: to my point, it's really very, very simple, okay? It's really very simple. They Uh kept running Saquon Barkley out of shotgun, and they continued to ask him to run straight ahead out of shotgun when clearly the evidence showed that that was not the right place to run the ball, especially without a fullback. Right. So, so yeah, you're absolutely right. Did they show some deficiencies on offense? Yes, but those deficiencies were also shown because they continued to do things that they shouldn't have done. Right. So, does that answer so your question?
3: As you go into the next season then, do you think do they need more of an offensive minded head coach or a defensive minded head coach? Because there's obviously problems on both sides of no, no, I have no the problem
1: ball. getting more of a defense look, if you're going to get a defensive minded head coach, then you need to have an offensive coordinator who is going to at least recognize things that aren't working and get away from them. Okay. okay. Here, let me go. Here's my pet peeves, Scott. And I don't want to. Ben McAdoo did it. Pat Shermer did it a lot. I don't want to besmirch those guys. They've been in this league a long time. They deserve right. respect. But I will tell you things that pet peeves that gall me is when you run straight ahead out of the shotgun and there's no lead blocker at fullback to help your your tailback. That does that does irk me. Something else that irks me a lot is when you get inside the five-yard line of the other team and you decide to go spread formation empty backfield and then insist on throwing the ball. When you and I both know that power football, especially inside the five, if you're the New York football giants and you play in northern New Jersey in November and December, you damn well better be able to muscle that ball in without trying to play video game football inside the other team's five. I don't think I really need to explain it to you any more clearly than that.
3: Okay. Um, I, I just wanted to get a comment on... There's a coach that I'd like to see, hopefully, the Giants interview. I don't know. I think he's already interviewed for the Cleveland position. But that's uh, Robert of uh, the defensive coordinator so the for the Niners. Francisco. Yeah, Robert Salah. I was Shallow, yeah. wondering what your opinion was on him as a potential candidate. And I'll take your answers off of here, guys. Thanks All again. All right, Scott. Appreciate sure. the
0: phone call. Well, before we answer his question about the candidate, the one thing I wanted to say, everybody needs to stop thinking about... Do you need an offensive-minded coach or a defensive-minded coach? You need a coach that you feel is going to earn the respect of his players, make those guys run through a wall, and be that CEO type of person. Because at the end of the day, it all matters about the coaching staff that that coach brings in, Paul. So even if you bring in a defensive-minded coach, just because you may be focusing on defense doesn't mean that he can then forget about offense. He has to then worry about who's he going to bring in as his offensive coordinator. (laughs) How is that individual going to develop Daniel Jones? What type of scheme is he going to run? And how those things mesh. Then if you brought in an offensive-minded person, that offensive-minded person still needs to worry about, you've got a young defense, what's the positive scheme, who's going to run that, and who's a good feel for that side of the facet of the team. I'm going to go further
1: than that. Your entire staff is critical. It's not just the coordinators, it's the whole staff. staff. Of course. And and, and to me, that's the big deal. When the Giants are interviewing head coaching candidates... I'm going to get on my soapbox here for just a second. It's not just important that the head coaching candidate fits what they want. They, You know, one of the important questions, and maybe the most important question is going to be, who do you expect to be able to bring in to fill out your staff? Because if that staff is not up to snuff, I can tell you right now, there have been many a good head coaches in this league who have been undone because their staff wasn't up to snuff. It is very, very very important. It's no coincidence that Bill Parcells and Tom Coughlin had terrific staffs and won two Super Bowls apiece. It's not just because their rosters were terrific, and they had franchise quarterbacks, and they had really good defenses. It's also because their staffs were really, really good.
0: Well, but the two of them in particular were also CEO type of coaches, which is what I'm focusing on. I think when you're looking at a head coach, it's not so much, you know, guru, innovation. It's also about can that individual oversee and delegate responsibilities. That's a big part of being a head coach, Paul, in the National Football League. So that, once again, goes back to the point about, well, should the Giants focus on one side of the ball or not? What does the guy do to command the room and run a team? How can he do that effectively? That should be the number one focus. And then what staff is he going to bring in to help get those things done? To your
1: point, Parcells was more defensive but yet he was still an overseer. Yeah, Tom was his, more offensive, of but he was still an overseer. But think about it. Ron Earhart handled Parcells' offense, and Spaggs, and, and then Perry Fuel, handled Tom's defense. Yeah. I mean, you know, yes, the opposite coordinator is probably the most important hire of your staffs, but uh, of your staff, but the rest of the staff is very, very critical. Well, I think the opposite
0: Especially coordinator... Especially with a young team. Correct. Well, also with a young head coach, the opposite coordinator is important. Oh For example, when Sean McVay went to the Rams, he brought in Wade Phillips. Mm-hmm. Wade Phillips was previous head coach and a veteran guy that you didn't have to necessarily hover over. You knew he could handle his business. So if you're going to go in the direction of a young coach, I think that other coordinator better be a very experienced, polished individual who doesn't have to be you know babysitted, essentially. Well,
1: the Jets brought in Williams. Under, under Gaze. Under
0: Gase. But in fairness, Gase is already a veteran coach, though. I wouldn't consider Gase a young coach. Gase has he's been around. He's on the younger side, though. Well, but, but Gase... In terms of
1: experience as a head coach, he's on the younger side. Well, you could certainly compare it to others, but
0: Gase has been an assistant in this league for a very long time. He's been around football for a long time. So I was looking at more McVeigh. McVeigh was a coordinator for a very short period of time, even. If anything, he was more of a positional person. So when you make that leapfrog quickly, it's very important to have an experienced defensive-minded person or vice versa. As far as, real quickly before we head back to lines, Lions, the last caller brought up Robert Sala. He's been the defensive coordinator for the Niners since 2017. Prior to that, he was the Jaguars' linebacker's coach. The Niners' defense has come along, specifically from 18 to 19, and part of it is guys are healthy. Uh, they brought in some new faces in the secondary. He deserves a lot of credit. He, he's done a very nice job. However, with all of that being said, he's never been a head coach at any level of football. So, you know, when you interview a guy like that, and, and I'm just talking about the candidate. This is nothing official, nothing tied into the Giants whatsoever. We were just asked a question, so that's why I'm answering it. You know, I think one of the things you need to ask somebody like this who falls into the category, poll of a young assistant, meaning somebody that hasn't had head coaching experience or hasn't even been a coordinator for a very long time, You know, who do you envision bringing in to round out your staff? What's your philosophy on offense? Who would be running your philosophy on offense? Those are important things. I think how he could delegate responsibilities across a staff is something I'd want to hear from a candidate that has never been a head coach. But the results have been very nice in San Francisco this season compared to what they were working with the previous year. I think it also helps when you bring in a guy named Nick Bosa. Uh, can make uh, <laughs> quite the impact, Paul, from uh, year one to year two. It helps. Yes. Let's head back to the phone lines at 201 939 4513. Carlos is in a story. Carlos, what's happening?
4: Happy New Year, guys. It's you too now. Uh, I didn't hear the opening of the show, so I'm not sure if you mentioned it or not, but to those who are listening, uh, Gettleman will be on the sand today at 3 o'clock um, with Joe and Evan for those who would want to tune into that. Um, Totally agree with you guys on the stuff you're saying about the head coach. I do disagree a little bit about the free agency part. Uh, I, I do think we need to spend big, not on a ton of players, but at least two, um, namely at the pass rusher position, and then either cornerback or an offensive tackle, probably the right tackle position. I, I don't think we're in a position here to hit a slow play this year. The, the draft is not going to provide enough reinforcements for us to make a big leap next year. I think, Paul, you kind of always say it. You need like four to five big acquisitions in an offseason to make that big leap. I think we could get two to three in free agency and then two with our top two picks uh, in the draft since we are picking high. But but I do think we need duty to spend, you know, mega money on at least one or two players.
0: Well, and I think they're going to have the resources to do that. When I say, you know, don't go on a spending spree, I just mean you don't want to lock up the bulk of your cap in three players, which is what happened in 2016. Because as Dave Gettleman mentioned in his press conference, you want to put about $20 million aside for injuries that occur over the course of the season. You're going to need reinforcements. You know, then obviously you need to sign your well, rookie
4: class. Yes, can I touch on that real quick? Yeah. That's a, that's an absurd notion that they have to put $20 million aside First off, there's no free agents that are worth anything more than generally minimum contracts during the season. I, I Honestly, I interpreted that as him saying, look, we need to sign our draft picks, and we don't want yeah. to just blow all our money. I don't think he realistically thinks you need $20 million for emergency. No, and, that, and that's oh, no, fair. When, when no, he and said
1: that, $20 million, he also clarified when he mentioned as part of that to re-sign guys to extensions. Correct, yeah. It wasn't yeah, just the reserve right. yeah. for for free agents during they, the season. Yeah, to they're, they're, re-sign I mean, they just signed players. Riley Dixon to an extension yeah. a couple of weeks ago.
5: Yeah.
1: Uh, so yeah, you need you need money for extensions. So I I think he was very clear if you listen carefully that that money is is more than just veteran free agent pickups, which, as the caller says, usually is not no, going to break your back. Basically, all because right. remember,
0: the rookies are part of the salary cap, so you need to designate. I'm talking about the incoming rookie class. That, mm. first of all, you need money for. It. Yes. Then you need some spending money for over the course of the year injuries happen, and then, obviously, if you do want to sign a guy to an extension. So all of that is under the $20 million umbrella, or at least that was an estimate in his mind. That doesn't mean that you have to keep exactly $20 million. It was just a ballpark figure.
4: Right. And one thing, I know you guys do, like, uh, around draft season, you'll have, um, like, SEC beat writers and stuff come on. I don't know if you do this. I just kind of started listening to the show around the draft last year. Uh, but as free agency does approach, maybe some of the top free agents, if we can get, for example, like a, a guy like a Yannick Ngakwe, a Jaguar beat writer, or something on the show I think would be really helpful. Kind of get, like, a hometown inside of the – what type of player they are, you know, as opposed to just kind of looking at the stat sheet. Uh, thanks, guys. Have a good
0: day. All right, Carlos. Appreciate thanks the phone very much. call. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about free agency as we get near there. Remember, the the new league year doesn't start until March, so we got some time to digest. I think first the Giants need to find a head coach before uh, anything else comes about.
1: Put it this way: the, the caller is fairly new to the program. We do program certain things during certain parts of the off season. We will have an extensive. Extensive walk up to the draft with coverage from the senior bowl. John Schmelk will be down there, he'll be there all week. He'll be calling into us, giving us info from the senior bowl first hand stuff. Okay, we will have full coverage of the combine. John and I will be out there for the whole week. And every day, as we get closer and closer to the draft, and it starts about two months ahead of the draft, we start uh, contacting people from the local media who do cover the team. Sometimes it's the radio voice or the TV voice or the the pregame show voice of of the respective colleges of guys who are, in our opinion, from schools who could be potential draft picks for the Giants at some point in the first two or three rounds. So we have extensive off-season coverage of all of that stuff, and we usually talk to a lot of the national Uh, NFL beat people when talking about free agency during the course of that week when it actually opens up. So we appreciate you for joining in with our listenership group. Uh, And we can only tell you this, the offseason, it's not an offseason for us. We're very, very busy here trying to program the best stuff that you can get so that you don't have to worry about reading the, the comic books.
0: Well, the bottom line is the NFL offseason has been now layered with events. Every single month, there's something, uh, whether it be Senior Bowl this month, uh, whether it be the Combine in February, free agency in March. uh, That's the one thing that the NFL has done a great job structuring. Uh, This is no longer a long wait. you got something to talk about pretty much uh, every single month leading up to the draft and then even beyond that with OTAs and, and training camp. Sure. After that. All right, let's head back to the phone lines. And a reminder before we do that, that Big Blue Kickoff Live is brought to you by Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Neil is in Boston. Neil, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us?
2: Hey, guys. It's been a tough three years, as everybody knows. But um, I was curious about, um, you know, Sean McDermott, Ron Rivera. How come uh, McDermott wasn't interviewed by the Giants? Was he not available or interested at that time? McDermott, when, uh,
0: well, McDermott is the head coach of the Buffalo Bills. Yeah,
1: you... you
2: right, so. but, but he was a defensive coordinator for Carolina four years ago, and the Giants could have interviewed him So for, for the head coaching well, position. Well, McDermott, with, the McDermott, wasn't right, well, McDermott and, was
0: the head coach of the Bills before they went and interviewed Pat Shermer, if that's right. your question. He was not available. I think you're referring to maybe when what, Ben I'm, McAdoo... I'm
2: going, I'm, I'm, excuse me, I'm going back four years before they hired... Uh, ben McAdoo, you're talking about. But,
0: you talk about McAdoo? Yeah. Yeah, well, but remember, McAdoo was an internal candidate, and they knew a lot about him, and right. that was one of the things that made it attractive to them because of how the offense was playing to promote him to head coach.
1: They were looking yeah, for continuity sense. there. Yeah. So
2: what about, um, you know, Rivera? Why, what, what do you think, did he just go to the skins because that's you know that's what he wanted to do i mean yes connection with
1: no my understanding is that ron rivera had a very strong affinity for going to washington and so when washington reached out to him he was very quick to go as you as you may know uh, if you try to read any reports to go uh, to uh, study up on Rivera he didn't go anywhere else for an interview no
0: i mean that was pretty much the the one he, place he went and it happened it. relatively quickly in terms of them getting yeah. him in the building yeah. and his agent negotiating. he wanted
1: and, them they wanted him yeah and the other Done.
0: the other thing neil that's important to clarify dave gettelman when he became the general manager of the panthers inherited ron rivera gettelman did not hire ron rivera ron rivera was already the head coach there i'm not saying they don't have a relationship but Gettleman did not handpick Rivera. So when you say, you know, because of their connection, the dynamics are a little bit different than as if Rivera was brought in by Dave Gettleman. That's not how it played out in Carolina.
2: Yeah. And the last question I have, or comment, you know, question is, do the Giants look at some of the players like Banks, Strahan, Sean O'Hara, David Deal, do they get input from them, do you think, as far as their perception of what's going on with the team and why they've been so lousy the last few years? I mean, it's obviously the offensive line
0: is weak, you know. Well, you're, you're asking about whether or not they sit down those former players and ask them for advice about how to build the roster? That's is not that your their question? job.
1: Yeah. That, that's yeah. not their job. Now, I would tell you, Carl Banks, because of his relationship here with the TV and radio, is here almost every single day. And obviously, if anybody wants to have any conversations with Carl, he's certainly willing to talk to them about it, whether it's a player or a coach. But other than that, it's not an announcer's job or former player's job to step on people's toes and unsolicited offer advice. But but, uh, look, if any of these offensive linemen wanted to ask uh, David Deal while he's in the building about a particular blocking scheme, I'm sure he would help them.
0: Yeah, they're free to have conversations, and Neil, appreciate the phone call, but, you know, those players are not consultants for the team. No. They're not scouts for the team. That's not their title. They're not (laughs) obligated, but, I mean, to be naive and say that, you know, maybe somebody passes them in the hallway and they have a conversation about a player... Or a scheme to your point, Paul? I don't think that's crazy, but no, I don't think they're going out of their way to ask those individuals in particular what they think of certain players. And as far as perception of the team, which is the term that the caller used, I don't think anybody in the front office is that naive that they need to ask a player for how a team is viewed, they could easily pick up magazines, newspapers, and so forth and, and see with their own eyes uh, in terms of commentary. So I, I don't think they need to ask Carl Banks that uh, of all individuals. Let's uh, head back to the phone lines. Adam is in Atlanta. Adam, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us?
2: Hey, guys. How you doing today? you right,
0: Adam. What's on your mind?
2: I uh, just want to uh, ask some questions about uh, Mike McCarthy. I know he's coming in for a uh, interview with the Giants. Can you give us a
3: rundown on his... Uh, coaching philosophy um what kind of a coach is he is a player's coach is he more of a Tom Coughlin like guy where he would rather you just do what you know what, what he says and you know
5: he's not interested in really being a
3: friend but he wants to make sure that everyone does their job and what went wrong in Green Bay for him
4: to part ways with the Packers when he did
0: well he was in Green Bay for 13 seasons which uh, in today's NFL is really unheard of Uh, as I'm sure you're well aware because of the turnover rate and uh, his background is he was an offensive coordinator before he was the Packers head coach. He was in New Orleans for a few years under Jim Hazlitt. Actually, those Saints offenses put up some decent points, and he didn't really have a star quarterback. He had uh, Jeff Blake and Aaron Brooks, and then after that, he went to the Niners. He was with Alex Smith his rookie year. You know, the Niners took him with the first overall pick, and then immediately after that one year in San Francisco, Green Bay hired him, and he had Brett Favre, and then Aaron Rodgers had been drafted the same year as Alex Smith and you know he helped groom Aaron Rodgers who eventually took over for Brett Favre when Favre initially said he wanted to retire and uh, he was ultimately traded when he wanted to come back because they felt it was necessary for Aaron Rodgers to take over as far as his philosophy you know Mike McCarthy is from the west coast philosophy I mean that, that's what he was taught so you know that's his background uh, in terms of his philosophy and I, and I think you know what ended in Green Bay I think after 13 years sometimes franchises feel People need a new voice, Uh, I I think that you know, they also needed to change the roster, the defense they were building through the draft. They started bringing in free agency and uh, they brought in also a new GM because Ted Thompson was the general manager mm-hmm. for the bulk of McCarthy's tenure. And, you know, Ted Thompson, because of health issues, you know, was phased out somewhat. So I just think at the tail end of his career, there, there was just a lot of turnover across the board in the franchise and they wanted to move in a different direction.
1: Now to clarify, uh, McCarthy was reported by ESPN to have an interview yeah, set up with the Giants. nothing is official from the Giants The Giants standpoint. are going. To yeah. confirm interviewees after those folks get interviews, not beforehand, only afterwards. So the report by ESPN that McCarthy is coming here is not something that we can confirm because the Giants will let us know when, in fact, something happens with anybody.
0: I mean, we could talk about him as a coach and what he's done. Yes, we can. Just to clarify, as Paul said, the Giants have not officially announced anything. So uh, we'll let you continue, Adam. But whenever you hear a caller come in and say, you know, the Giants are interviewing so-and-so, that's based on what the caller heard in terms of reports, not anything that the Giants have officially reported. But go ahead, Adam. Yeah.
3: I I just did. I saw a... um, a piece that they did on him, where where he's really into analytics. Uh, going by what Gediman said, that you know he, they they're bringing in more analytics guys. Do you think that uh, th- this would, if he, if he does come in, that this would make him a um, better candidate than some of the
0: others? Well, I think all coaches have to have some grasp of analytics in today's NFL. I don't really think it matters your background because, you know, most teams are heading in that direction. When you think about weighing the pros and cons of going for it on fourth down, whether to kick a field goal, all of those things involve some type of analytical feature. So, You know, I didn't necessarily see the piece that you're referring to, Adam. And, you know, I don't know what he's done in terms of his year away from the NFL. Most coaches usually use that as an opportunity to self reflect. So I'm sure he's been doing some studies on his own. But to answer your question, I don't think it makes a difference whether it's a veteran head coach or a young guy. I think any coach has to at least understand analytics and the impact it has in today's game. That doesn't mean that they have to live and die by it, but I think they have to understand that it is some part of today's game and that most franchises use it to weigh decisions in terms of talent as well as strategy and games.
6: Yeah, thank you. I yeah. appreciate
0: it. You got it, Adam, and appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in. And McCarthy clearly is somebody that has a wealth of head coaching experience because we were talking about some other campaigns earlier. 13 years with the Pack. Yeah and six NFC North Division titles uh, over that span and also helped develop a young quarterback like Aaron Rodgers. So, you know, when you look at his experience and then you look at what the Giants want to accomplish, okay, they want to develop a young quarterback, Paul. They clearly want to not just flash for one season. They want to have consistency in winning. You know, he is somebody that has accomplished that in his previous destination. There's no doubt about that. Let's head back to the phone lines. Mike is in Brooklyn, and he joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Mike?
6: Happy New Year, Lance Paul. How you guys doing? You too. too. Happy New well. Year too. Good. Um, just a couple of points. Um, I think uh, you know. Obviously, when Gettleman uh, took the job, he had quite a daunting task ahead of him: uh, cleaning up uh, the the uh, the uh, salary cap issue. Um, you know, finding the the uh, successor to Eli. Uh, and the, the culture issue and all that kind of thing. I think he's done a. I think he's done a very good job. Yeah, free agency things on and uh, a couple other you know players didn't work out, but that's what, what you get. I mean, uh, if, with free agency and the draft, it's not always going to be um, you know an easy task. Uh, and like um, Mr. Mattis said, you know, yeah, the batting average has got to get better. Uh, no doubt about that. And I, I, like the fact too, during his press the other day, Gettleman said, you know, you take 20 million and you put it aside, you put it in the bank, um, out of the, uh, available cap money. You don't, you know, and you, you leave it there in case of, you know, re-signings or whatever. You always want to have that, um, that, that money there. So you can, uh, be flexible during the season. um, as far as his drafts, uh, let's just going over the last draft. I mean, fourth Julian Love in the fourth round, round, Slayton and Conley, and Valentine in the sixth round. All of them um, played significant um, minutes. Uh, obviously, Conley was playing more, he didn't blow out of it. But um, uh, I think it, uh, he did a tremendous job, especially in the last draft.
1: Well, and, sure, uh, and even his I'm first draft with the Giants, his first four players are all starters: Hernandez, yeah. and Hill and Carter, and Barkley. All four of those guys are starters. Now, look again, Gentlemen's free agent crop is mixed. There's no question, and that's where his biggest knock comes. But when you look at his his free uh, his um his um uh, his draft <laughs> and. It's it, it's impossible to criticize him for his draft. You just can't do it. No, I agree. Well, um, last point: um,
6: the uh, the with Betcher as our defensive coordinator. Um, do you think? I, I, uh, first of all, the tight end um, coverage and, and the uh, we weren't. We were we were pretty good this year. Um, so I, they went. I, they must have gone. Uh, in the offseason, figure out a way to you know keep them keep keep the Giants from getting burned by tight ends down the seam uh, because I think it, before you had the statistics uh, last week and uh, we they were pretty you know I think in the top ten as far as tight ends you know burning us. Um, last question, I'll take it off the air. Um, it, Betcher's system seemed to to me to be. Complicated. You got guys playing multiple roles, and you know, if that's the way of the future, fine. It's always good to have a guy who can play multiple roles. But with the young, uh, with the young age of the new, of the players, and and the fact that they had to, they had to, um, you know, play by way. Do you think his system in their um, in their ability to to uh, to grow as quickly as somebody's uh, playing a less complicated system. I just want to hear what you guys have to say, and I want more. Thank you for taking my call.
1: All right, Mike. Thanks for the phone call. Uh, let me just give this quick stat: Giants gave up 73 catches to tight ends this year. It was right in the middle of the pack of the NFL, but they did allow 18 touchdown, eight eight, eight touchdown yeah. catches by tight ends, which was tied for a uh, sixth most in the league. So the touchdown catches were not good, but in terms of the receptions during the course of the year, they actually were middle of the pack, which has been an improvement from recent seasons, I have to tell you. Not that that meant anything, because the defense as a whole had a very, very rough year. Yeah, that's why I
0: would say more mixed results against tight ends than a huge improvement, as the caller alluded to. I mean, I remember... The Bears game, they utilized their tight ends. The Eagles game, of course, the first time around with Zach Ertz. I'd say mixed results is a better way to sum up. My problem
1: was that there were far too many opponents running free in the defense, no matter what position they played. Correct. That would be my problem. Well,
0: listen, it's all about perspective. If you're comparing it to previous seasons, you want to focus on saying that there was some improvement, that's fine, but I still think tight ends was an issue this season. I don't think that's a stretch at all. As far as was the system too convoluted for these young guys Paul because that seemed to be the last point that he was making and, and that was why those guys struggled I I don't think that it was too overly convoluted I I think you know I had a conversation recently with Michael Thomas and I thought Thomas really shed some light the fact that Thomas said when he was at Stanford he was exposed to a variety of different defenses because Vic Fangio was his defensive coordinator, mm-hmm. Paul. And when he entered the NFL, he felt like he had a good grasp on what an NFL defense was going to ask him to do. And remember, Michael Thomas is a guy that started off in the practice squad, whereas he seemed to indicate from my conversation with him was that some of these other young guys that came in this year, they were not exposed and they didn't have defensive coordinators where – they were asked to do things that then year one or year two in the NFL, it's going to be a duplication. It's almost like learning from scratch. That was my biggest takeaway from that conversation I had with Michael Thomas. And that, I think, was more of a factor than necessarily Betcher's scheme in particular being too convoluted.
1: So let me see if I understand you correctly. Yeah. You're talking about the preparedness of a player coming out of college. Correct wasn't at the level, perhaps, that it would have needed to be given better scheme. Correct.
0: Yes. Meaning... And that's plausible. Meaning Michael Thomas said, I knew cover one, cover two. I was asked to do all well, of these things. St- and this like is, is why of those a, lot basics. Of,
1: a lot of personnel departments talk about going to schools, the big time power schools that have coordinators and coaches that run pro style systems, because this way, these guys will be much more adaptable to the NFL game. Right?
0: 100%. 100%. And just for clarification, that was a conversation I had with him on air on my SiriusXM show. So, you know, I I don't want to misinterpret it that it was somewhere on Giants.com or a printed article. This was completely separate from the Giants. And I specifically asked him about the defense and he indicated, and I'm paraphrasing it, the interview's up online, but those were some of the things that he said. And I found that to be quite insightful because nobody really necessarily went into that in depth throughout the season.
1: The 1A to that says, well, if they're not, as advanced as you would have hoped when they got to the league then you've got to make adjustments for that and that's fair and that's also a fair that take. that's the 1a to that problem realizing that they're not ready and to. and and i would i would suspect based on what we saw that there probably weren't enough adjustments
0: let's head back to the phone lines as we move along here on big blue kickoff live jeffrey is in north carolina jeffrey welcome to big blue kickoff live what do you got for us
5: what I got for you guys is, I'm being honest, I'm a big, blue, die heart G-man fan. But check this out. I'm going to keep it 100. We need to go ahead and start playing and bring OBJ back. We do not have a threat. They're loading the box with Odell. I mean, not Odell. They're loading the box up with Barkley. So, therefore, we the one game is pretty much smashed. We can't really do nothing. The tight end, Ingram, he ain't been healthy the whole season. Then we got to worry about Sterling. Sterling's not going to last probably the next two years. Uh, having too many concussions, you know that the slot receiver, him coming across the middle is going to be very slim. Okay, let's get back to Eli Manning. Now, Eli, honestly, I can say he still got gas in the tank, fellas. Come on, let's give it. Let's give him credit. He still have gas in the tank, but he don't. We don't have the, We do not have a line. So without a line, you cannot put, get the good quality out of your quarterback without with, without a line. You know that's. That, you know you can't do it. And then we put Daniel Jones. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a big Duke uh, 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 football fan, but I love a basketball team. But on top of that, he was throwing to small receivers. He do not, he wasn't used to throwing tall receivers because most of the guys that was on their receiving core was under six feet. They was not even five uh, uh, to five. So on top of that, what do y'all guys think about bringing Odell back, or even go get a uh, uh, Dans Bryan? Let's go get a D threat. Let's get some help to the team so we can get the spot back because man we looking bad
0: well Jeffrey they have Darius Slayton who they just drafted and they brought in Golden Tate via free agency so to your Tate point
5: washed up. Golden Tate excuse if me Golden,
0: Jeffrey if Golden Tate is washed up how is he the most productive receiver this season
5: I mean, come on. Okay, look, look, Jeffrey, look. Okay, here's, here's 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 Jeffrey's not a guarantee. You knew when Odell hit the field, it was on. When Jeffrey, when here's Odell the problem. The field, you you actually they had to put multiple people on that man because he was a threat. Then on top of that, it said it opened up the field. Jeffrey, here's the, the, the problem. The you you've actually up right now. you've it's actually
1: tight. made half of a good point, but then destroyed it with some uh, ridiculous. Uh, okay. Proposition here. Okay, here, 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 here's where you're right. You're absolutely right. Could the Giants improve and upgrade their offensive line? Yet again, I totally concur. Do the Giants have a need for a big 6'2, 6'3, 6'4, skyscraping wide receiver like Plexical Burris? Absolutely agree with you. On those two things, I give you 150%. I agree more than wholeheartedly. But here's okay. here's where you're wrong. You're wrong about Odell Beckham Jr. because right now it is quite clear that that guy, whether you want to put bang for your buck in terms of salary and production, not to mention all the injuries that he's had his entire career, yeah, and all yeah, the other stuff, injuries, and yeah. all the other stuff that he causes in the locker room. Let me tell you something: I'm not sure that the Browns even want to have him back next year. So on that count, you're wrong. And on the other count about Barkley, understand something: Barkley was healthy for five games this year. In his first two games, he had 120 and 107 yards. Then when he got healthy off the ankle, he had 112 and 189 and 92. So please don't misinterpret the fact that Barkley was stopped by other defenses. Barkley was stopped by a mental block caused by a high ankle sprain during the middle seven and a half games of the season. That's what stopped him. No defense stops Saquon Barkley. It doesn't happen. I, I,
5: I Listen, I'm a, I'm a big Zaycar fan. I love Z. But what I'm saying is we're going to hurt him. If we don't give him more help, we're going to hurt him. And what's going to help us out? Nothing. We're going to be back to zero because we've beaten our horse. We've well, again, our work horse. Again, we've our work horse.
1: I'm with you about getting a bigger receiver who can be a threat downfield, and I'm with you on getting a better offensive line. I'm with you on those two points. But please don't go off the tracks on the other stuff.
5: Okay, now another thing. What do you think about Chase as a defensive end? Do you think we should snatch him up as a number four pick? Because, you know, we need a fan uh, Who says he's you know going to be need there? Jeffrey, you know we need Jeffrey, who says
0: Chase Young's going to be there at number four?
1: Are you sure he's going to be there? He's he's probably going to be gone by a lot yeah. of accounts. He'll be gone by pick three. So it may be okay. more of a And if dream. he is, who do you want? So, so you're trying to say we got so we might
5: not
0: have a slim chance yeah to get, i think to get i think there's a very good chance that you're probably not gonna have a shot at him
1: i think you have to so be prepared trying, so be prepared first round pick need to be what all oh, no 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 how,
0: how about this how about the first round pick is perhaps whatever they feel evaluation wise is the best talent as opposed to a specific position why do you have to think okay. as a position I don't think you should ever go into a draft saying just because you need an— op- So if you want to upgrade the offensive line to your point and they're not fond of the tackle that is mm-hmm. up there, they should take the tackle anyway just because you think it's a need? Is that, is that the well, philosophy? I'm put it like
5: this. If, if I feel that it's a need for my team, I'm going to address the need for my team urgent. And our edge rushers
1: are urgent. We do not have a good edge rush. Okay, Jeffrey, but Jeffrey, so let well, me ask you well, this. Hold on a second, Jeffrey. Snatch him up. All right, well, hold on a second, though. You understand free agency starts at the beginning okay. of March, and then the draft comes okay. at the end of April. But, but look at our free agency. No, no. Look
5: at our, what we did last I year. I understand. I you understand.
1: I understand. But hold on. The bottom line is... You have to see what you're going to do in free agency before you truly know what you need going into the end of April. You don't you don't know exactly what the Giants will need going into the draft until you've got your free agents in line. I mean, okay. seriously, you don't know. Yeah. You don't you don't know.
5: Okay. okay, okay, That's okay. all. So if you, want want me, If wait, you want to call me back. wait and see what we're going to do. Right, you know, right. Oh, that with that comes right. first. Yeah. If you
1: want to call us back in the middle of April and say, look, this is who the Giants got in free agency, and now this is what I think their biggest need is, and I hope they fill it in the draft, I'm not going to argue with you then.
5: Okay, 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 gotcha, gotcha much respect. I understand that totally. And thank you guys for having me on the show. I just just had the boys my opinion. It's okay. No, no no problem. problem. Thanks for calling
1: in. Hold
6: on, hold on. Before we hang up, so you guys feel that Odell
5: was a distraction in the locker room. So y'all think that getting in and them did a good decision by booting
1: him out of the Giants. Well, c- consider the value they got back for him, whether or not you think Odell was good or was not good, the value they mm-hmm. got for him was certainly much more uh, helping them rebuild their team than just having him. Because remember, th- the picks they got at Baker and Lawrence and 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 uh, and, and getting Zeitler. I mean, that package deal right now has given you a handful of guys who was supposed to be part of the solution. That's a big deal. So I'm I'm not going to address Odell as an individual person right now. I'm simply saying that deal advanced the Giants' chances of rebuilding.
5: Okay, okay, got you. I got you. Okay, much respect. Appreciate you. Have guys. a good All day, Jeffrey, sir.
1: Thank you. Thanks for the phone call. I mean,
0: keep in mind, Beckham came in in 2014, and the Giants have one winning season. During his tenure, and not I'm not bringing that up to say that Odell Beckham is the only reason. So don't misinterpret no, my words. Of course not. Of but course not. The point is, by trading Odell Beckham, they were able to bring in a group of players with the goal of addressing other needs, which is why they did not have more than one winning season with Beckham, such as Zeitler on the offensive line, Lawrence to give them another rotational defensive lineman, Baker to give them a starting corner. Zimenez another rotational pass rusher, as opposed to just Odell Beckham and his playmaking ability. Because as great as Odell Beckham was, once again, you're just looking at 11-5 and five in 2016. You don't have anything else that his skill set translated to W. So, you know, with any NFL team, y- you can't just expect one player to be your hero and savior.
1: See, the, because of the salary cap, and let's not kid ourselves, that changed everything in the NFL because of the salary cap, you yep. can never look at a player's value just by his stats on the field. It now becomes value per dollar.
2: Because for the
1: buck. And that's really what it comes down to now. It's no longer about just this great stat line that the guy has. Because if he's costing you so much money against your cap, now his actual value to your team in terms of value per dollar is is watered down significantly and then when you can move him and get a bunch of cheaper players who can fill multiple holes, it's a no-brainer. I mean, that's what the NFL did when they went to the salary cap situation. They basically decided, okay, we're going to devalue the superstar player because your bang for the buck is going to be significantly reduced. Well, they made it
0: challenging for everybody to keep the rosters together I still stand by I love the salary cap I have no issue with the salary cap that's
1: because you don't remember the no, 70s remember, and 80s well
0: I mean listen I you remember don't. I know what it was like before then and then that's why 70s you 70s and had,
1: 80s were a golden era of yes, the NFL because
0: you had five teams that legitimately could win a Super Bowl and now you don't have five teams you have half a league that you can make a case so I would say that's much better than having just five dynasty-esque type of teams okay Fine. To each their own, and we're entitled to disagree, but I am a proponent of the salary cap. I have no problem with the introduction of the salary cap. And I also think that it proves that you need good management to balance the load in fielding a competitive team. And that puts every franchise and every organization to the challenge. Because as you mentioned, you can't just lock up three to four players and expect to field a competitive team. You need to be wise in terms of how you... A lot your assets, and that's where we are right now in today's NFL. With that being said, that's going to wrap up today's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, brought to you by Coors Light, Mounting Cold Refreshment, Made to Chill. Certainly appreciate everybody for tuning in. Big Blue Kickoff Live up and running every single day during the week throughout the course of the offseason. We'll be back up and running tomorrow at 1.30 p.m. Eastern, and then we'll keep you posted as to whether or not we're going to move to an earlier time, which we normally do in the off season. starting next week. We will obviously keep you updated here on Giants.com, so stay locked for all the latest. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. We'll speak to you tomorrow on Giants.com. Have a good one.